This morning, we uh, begin a four-week series of messages called Soul Detox, Clean Living in a Contaminated World. I was telling somebody this week about the title of this series that we're starting, and they challenged me to start the message by drinking some type of green health shake and uh, detoxing myself uh, on the stage. I said, no, thank you. I will not be doing that here this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at a verse of Scripture this morning that over the next four weeks, as we travel through this series, will be our key verse. We'll come back to it quite a bit. And it is the words of Peter, one of uh, Jesus' top three disciples. And years later down the road, this is what he says. But you are a chosen people, 1 Peter 2. 9 through 12, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. God, I thank You for Your presence that's here this morning. God, I thank You for Your Word and the power and the relevancy that we find in it. God, I pray that you would anoint me to speak and anoint the congregation here, our body of Christ here this morning to hear the word. And Lord, I pray that we would be changed, that we would be convicted, that we would become more like you through it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, a thought that's going to kind of go throughout this whole series, and I'm going to start with that this morning. And that is this key thought. We are not a body with a soul. But we are a soul with a body. That's one of those things you may have to think about a little bit for it to sink in. You are not a body with a soul, but you are a soul with a body. We are not our bodies. Our bodies are just temporary houses for our souls. A temporary dwelling for a soul that will live forever. I, I typed that up this week and sat back and looked at the screen where it said temporary dwelling. And I thought, wow, we sure spend a lot of time on our bodies and the way we look for this to be a temporary dwelling, don't we? Anybody ever worry about your hair? Do you have hair? How's it, how's it going? The guys just, they want to hang on to some hair. And when it's gone, then they want to get the coolest looking bald head that there is. For the ladies, they got to keep the coolest haircut there there is. I mean, they change their hair color. If one gray comes up, they're going to go spray her down, whatever y'all do. We do all kinds of stuff. We're worried about a sag. We're worried about staying fit. We're worried about going to the gym. All those things. And, uh, and i got to tell you, as a parent with now 2.5 teenagers, 0.5 because we're almost to 3, 
I, I see this battle in my house all the time. We have a lot of creams and lotions in our home that are supposed to protect and heal and help the face. Can I get an amen from anybody who's had a teenager? I'm like, we got to buy that again. That thing is $6. We just bought one last week. And I've seen my kids, they kind of change. They've stopped drinking soft drinks because they realize what it does to their skin. And they want to keep everything looking clean and nice. And we stress out over our bodies, don't we? There's an infomercial that shows up on my TV. I haven't clicked it yet. But it says something about get rid of turkey neck. I don't even know what turkey neck is. I'm scared to click whatever that is that says turkey neck. But this idea is that we are not a body with a soul, but we are a soul with a body. Whenever I think about a verse that, that fits this, from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, you have this verse, look at this. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Put that up on the screen, Chris. I think about this verse, and whenever I've always thought about this, I have a mental image that when God created Adam and he formed him, he's, Adam's just kind of standing there. He, he's clay, he's, he's formed from the ground, and he's just standing there until God goes, and when God breathes into him, that body suddenly is now full. It has a soul in it. I got to thinking about and kind of did a word study of all the songs that we sing around here. And we've got a lot of songs, probably more than I realized, songs that talk about the soul. And I just found song after song after song and lyric after lyric where the word soul, we sing about our soul. The scripture has endless lists and endless descriptions of what our soul is all about. Let's take a walk real quick through the scriptures and see what we're talking about. The first time the word soul shows up is in Deuteronomy 4.29. It says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and all your... Good. We know this one, Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your... and with all your strength. Joshua on his deathbed, he's talking to the people of Israel. Joshua 23, 14, he says, Now I'm about to go the way of the earth. You know with all your heart and that not one of all the good promises of the Lord your God gave you has failed. Hannah is praying silently for a child. And Eli the priest comes in and thinks she's crazy. And she looks at him and she says, Not so, my Lord, in 1 Samuel 1.15. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking beer or wine. I'm not drunk, she said. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. In 2 Kings 23, verse 25, it tells us that Josiah was a king like none other in all those lists of kings. And nobody was like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul. Job talks over and over and over all throughout the book of Job about the bitterness of his soul. In Psalms, we are packed, jam-packed with verses about the soul. Listen to this, Psalms 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the... Good, you're getting your part down. Psalms 35 verse 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in His salvation. Psalms 42.2. The psalmist starts talking to himself and says, My 
soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalms 42 verse 5, he's kind of getting himself in line and he says, Why my soul are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? In Psalms 57, 8, it's like he shakes himself and says, Wake up, soul. Wake up. See what God's doing. Psalm 62, verse 1. Truly my soul finds rest in God. Psalms 84, verse 2. My soul yearns for the Lord, even faints for the courts of the Lord. And then the, the last part of the Psalms are full from Psalms 103 on with scriptures like this. It says, Praise the Lord my soul and all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. When Jesus, uh, the, the news about Jesus came to Mary in Luke 1, 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. Jesus talked a lot about the soul. Matthew 10, 28. He said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is giving us the same thing I told you, that we're not a body with a soul, but a soul with a body. Mark 8, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, 29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Mark 8, 36-37. We know this one. One of Jesus' most quote sayings. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Mark 12, 30, Jesus is cornered. The Pharisees think they've got him. What's the greatest commandment? He hearkens back to what we've already read from Deuteronomy 6. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then Jesus, the night before he's crucified, we find him in Matthew 26, 38, saying to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. The soul rejoices, the soul wakes up, the soul worships, the soul is bitter, the soul searches, the soul loves, the soul pursues. The soul is that part of us that will live forever. Now this verse that we started with, 1 Peter 2, 9-12, through 12, Peter is telling us this. I want to jump to verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... And I read that this week and I thought, kind of alluded to some of the things I already shared this morning, that in our society today, I, I don't know about you, but I look around and I feel more than ever before like a foreigner and an exile. I don't even feel like I live in America anymore. Anybody else feel that way? I think as we live in this environment that we see, I think it's something that the Lord can use in our hearts to show us that, you know what, this isn't our home, that we are just passing through. Amen? But Peter says, you are foreigners and exiles, and I urge you to abstain from sinful desires. Now, he's talking to the church, because he's already said, you came out of the darkness, and you're a chosen people. But he's talking to the church and says, abstain from sinful desires, which do what? Watch it. Which wage war against your soul there is a battle going on for your soul it doesn't matter how old you are you could serve the Lord for 50 years 
The enemy still has a target on your back that he can get your soul. The youngest child who come through VBS this week. The enemy hates that because he ultimately wants that child's soul. And it's because of those sinful desires that Peter talked about that wage war against our soul that we need, and we're going to over the next few weeks, take inventory of our soul and see if perhaps we need to go through some type of soul detox. I mentioned the health shake a while ago. When you think of the word detox, you think about a lot of different things, a lot of different products that you might could use to detox your body. But I thought about something this week as I was preparing for this. I, I started thinking about a commercial that I've seen a lot lately. Actually, a series of commercials that the CDC has put out called Tips from Former Smokers. Have you all seen these commercials? I mean, they're heavy, aren't they? They are very intense. I mean, you can be watching TV and watching cartoons, and this commercial comes on, and you're like, it almost takes your breath away because of the intensity, because of the graphic nature of the commercial. They're, they're actually quite chilling, but the idea in that commercial is to remind smokers of the long-term permanent damage to their bodies. I did a little research and learned that last year in 2014 marked 50 years since the Surgeon General in 1964 made his first proclamation about smoking and the dangers of smoking to us as Americans. And since then, even though it's on every pack of cigarettes and we have commercials and we don't have smoking in public places and it's not on billboards and we, we, we've tried to remove it from our society, over the last 50 years, 20 million 20 million Americans have died due to smoking diseases. And it's not just an American thing. I went on YouTube this week and I was looking to see if I could find those commercials because I was trying to remember how they went. And, and somebody has compiled on YouTube the top 40 scariest anti-smoking ads from all over the world. There's ads there from Norway, from the UK, from South Africa, from East Asia, from all over the place. But there was one that really got my attention, and it was an ad from Australia. And the ad opens up on this attractive young woman. She's probably 25. She's sitting outside. She's got shorts on and a tank top. She's a nice-looking girl. She's got a nice, clean, healthy skin. And, and, you know, she's sitting there, and she's talking on the phone, and she reaches over and grabs a cigarette. And as she begins to smoke the cigarette and talk on the phone and lays back in her lounge chair, her skin begins to slowly turn gray. And then as the commercial goes on and she talks and smokes, then all these marks and, and, and sores begin to form on her body. And then she turns into this person who was very attractive but suddenly looks very unhealthy and, and looks very disgusting almost to even look at. And the slogan that this anti-smoking campaign from Australia came up with is this. Would you still be smoking if it did to your outside what it does to your inside? I thought that was a pretty, pretty sharp ad. We know today that smoking causes heart disease, mouth cancer, reduced lung function, gangrene, emphysema, chronic bronchitis, stroke, throat cancer, diabetes, lung cancer, the list goes on. Now, this isn't an anti-smoking commercial or sermon. I know it feels that way. But I said a lot to say 
that smoking is a good illustration, I think, for where we're going in this series. Because the smoker doesn't realize they cannot see everything that is going on in the inside of their body as they inhale those toxins and what it does to them. It's unseen and it does incomprehensible damage. I want to submit to you today that could it be possible that we, even as believers in the church, are inhaling and breathing in toxins and poisons from our society that can be damaging our souls? Listen to what Peter said again. He says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. If I take that ad and I turn it around to what I'm talking about this morning, I'd say it this way. What if toxins and poisons of our culture and the world around us, what if they did to us on the outside what they're doing to us on the inside? In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the tortured soul, the seduced soul, and the heavy soul. But this morning, I want to talk about some toxins that actually, they don't stay on the inside. These are emotional toxins, and we may not realize it, but this morning we're going to talk about the poisoned soul, and we're going to explore three toxins that are emotional toxins that we may be experiencing in our lives and are coming out. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is bitterness. This is an amazing quote. Maya Angelou, the writer and poet and author, she said this, Bitterness is like a cancer. It eats upon the host. Everybody here can find something to be bitter about and something to blame somebody else about. Would you say amen to that and admit that? You can be bitter over a divorce that happened years ago or six months ago. You can be bitter over a situation in your job that happened recently. You can be bitter over something that happened in your family that still brings hurt to your life. Bitterness never draws us closer to God. Bitterness is a non-productive, toxic emotion that usually results from unmet needs inside of us. Its insidious partners, listen to this, include jealousy, anger, hatred, disobedience, contempt, gossip, rage, and countless tagalongs. And when bitterness comes into our lives, bitterness will rob us of our joy, of our hope, of our forgiveness, and of mercy. Hebrews 12, 14-15 says this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness no one can see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to foul many. We must be on the lookout for bitterness in our hearts. We must be aware and that it is there and fight against it because if not, we can miss the grace of God that is in our lives. If you don't handle bitterness properly, someone else's sin against you can become a catalyst for sin in your own life. That was so good, I'm going to say it again. If you don't handle bitterness in your own heart, someone else's sin can become a catalyst for sin in your own heart. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven eighteen said, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, as Christians, we like to use this one. 
Because we tag it with that other scripture that Jesus opened up in Matthew 7, uh, 7, 1, where he says, Judge not that you be not judged. And I've said it before. Well, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. We said that before. Well, guess what? Jesus was talking to church people too. A good tree cannot bear good fruit and a bad tree cannot bear... I didn't say it right. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Bitterness can turn our hearts into acid, searing our hearts, numbing our conscience. And the more you dwell on a hurt, the more that poison absorbs in your heart. If you're bitter about something in the past and you bring it up in your mind and you chew on it and you chew on it and chew on it, all it does is poison and bring your soul more toxic. I know of a family that's close to our family that had a situation that happened to them probably 20 or 25 years ago. It's been a long time. And it was a church situation. And it was very hurtful. And they were done wrong and they were hurt. But if today you said the name of that church or you said the name of the people involved, you can see their face change, their expression change, their body language changes, and the things they'll begin to communicate with you changes. Why? Because they have a bitter root in their heart that they've hung on for 25 years. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. Hebrews is warning us that bitterness can cause roots in our heart to grow up. And often, when we're bitter, we are hurt and we justify it because we were hurt. And yes, you were hurt. Yes, I have been hurt. We have a reason we think to be bitter, but not so, according to the Scripture. Have you never noticed, if you're a bitter person, if you know a bitter person, and I've had seasons in my life where I could see that growing up in me when you become bitter you become overly critical have you ever been around anybody who's incredibly critical boy they're a joy to be around aren't they they're wonderful and a lot of fun critical people usually are people who are bitter but bitterness it keeps detailed records when the scripture says love keeps no record of wrong so what do we do about bitterness how do we fix bitterness? Well, the easy answer would be uh, what I'll call Disney Frozen Theology. Everybody with little girls and grandkids are little girls, you know what Disney Frozen Theology is. Do you want me to sing it? Let it go. Let it go. Da -da 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 -da. I don't even know what's next. Let it go. Let it go. That's Disney Frozen Theology. Boy, I tell you, some of y'all, y'all just bitter over that song, aren't you? Because you're so sick of hearing it. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? That's okay, but it really works a lot more like this. I was working in my yard the other day, and, and uh, I needed this. And everybody knows what this is. This is the good stuff. This is Roundup. Roundup. And now the commercial goes... You hook this baby up, and you're going to get rid of all that's... I mean, it's guaranteed it is on here. It says, kills the roots, guaranteed. Rainproof in 10 minutes, visible results in 3 hours, like you're sitting out there in your lawn chair waiting. But this is the good stuff, and we use it because we want to kill roots, right? We want to get to the roots of the weeds that are in the cracks in our driveway. 
We work so hard on our flower beds and here comes the poison ivy and all that stuff. And we want to get rid of it because Roundup's the best stuff to use. But you know what the best thing to use to get rid of bitter roots in your heart? It's real simple. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is guaranteed to destroy bitter roots in your heart. Oh, that sounds too simple, Les. I, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's really not. Let it go theology, I'll just soon let that go. I, I don't think it's really easy just to let stuff go. But listen what the scripture says in Ephesians 4, 31-32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. Look at all the stuff that's with bitterness. Anger, rage, brawling, slander. Every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Doing what to each other? Are y'all looking? It might be too small up there. Uh, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Why must we forgive? Because Christ forgave us. If you have a problem forgiving somebody about something that happened a long time ago, think about how much Christ has forgiven you. How, they don't deserve it, Pastor Les. You don't know what they did to me. It was so over the top. It's worth it, worse than anything anybody has ever done. And it was somebody in church. It was even a pastor somewhere a long time ago. Well, you're right. That shouldn't have happened. But guess what? How many times have I sinned against God? How many times have I turned my back on God? How many times have I sat in a service just like this, heard the word and found myself a few days doing the very thing that the pastor preached about? But yet, Christ still forgives me. If there's anybody who should be bitter over constant sins, it is Jesus. If there's anybody who has a reason to be bitter, it would be Him. He gave His life, and we still struggle with sin. We still battle our sinful desires, amen? But He forgives us, and in turn, we should forgive others. There's a song that uh, Matthew West, Christian artist, did a few years ago called Forgiveness. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. This says it so well. It's the hardest thing to give away and the last thing on your mind today. It always goes to those who don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they caused is just too real. It takes everything you have to say the word forgiveness. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you've got a right to hold a grudge, it's whispering in your ear saying, set it free, forgiveness. Now here's the third verse. This is just incredible. Listen. It'll clear the bitterness away. It can even set the prisoner free. There's no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really frees is you. Forgiveness. Jesus, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Praying for other people may or may not change the other person, but it will change you. Forgiveness. Let's look at the second thing this morning. 
Let's talk about envy. It doesn't get any better. I mean, we've talked about bitterness. Now let's talk about envy. Look at this quote. USC professor Harold Coffin said, Envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. Is that not the American culture we live in? Everybody's got the latest iPhone. They got the latest toy. We're always jealous of somebody else went on a better vacation. They got a better house. They live in a better neighborhood. They got a better car. If we took every ad and commercial seriously, we would be miserable. And some of you are miserable because you take them all seriously. There was a car commercial when we lived in Virginia Beach. And this is how the jingle of that car commercial went. It said, you can have it all. You can have it all. That's what she sang. And I remember the first time I heard it on the radio, I was like, well, praise God, I didn't know I could have it all. Does that mean I can go right on down there to the dealership? Whose was that, Van? Do you remember whose? I don't remember which one. I won't throw nobody in under the bus. I don't remember whose it was. But you can have it all, brother. (laughs) Like, I didn't know I could have it all. But all of this stuff that we have in our lives, that it combats us and we, we'll just kind of think, well, I really don't have anything anymore. Envy originated, listen to this, the word envy originated from the Latin word invidia, which literally means to look upon with malice or resentment. So when you envy somebody else's stuff, you're kind of looking upon them with resentment. Its kin includes discontentment, dissatisfaction, covetousness, and they're all born of the marriage of comparison and resentment. Maybe this is what Mick Jagger was singing about when he said, I can't get no satisfaction. I don't know. Envy can take on a lot of different forms, okay? How about technology envy? Everybody else has got the latest gadget. I guarantee you if you go get a brand new flat screen TV, 55-inch brand-new screen, your best friend will go get him a 65 just because you got a 55. That's my testimony. That happened to me a couple years ago. If you're watching, you know who I'm talking about. If you're watching online, I still love you, but I know he did it on purpose. Some of us have, (laughs) and he was a preacher too. Some of us have appearance envy. We're never happy with the way we are. Guys, we look at somebody else. Well, I guess we look at the other guy's hair. I was talking about that a while ago. Or maybe his truck. Man, that's mine. Or maybe his gun collection. You know you're, you're dealing with a sermon. When I was, I was working on this, and I had finished my envy part the other day, and I'm driving down the road, and I see a truck exactly like I want, and I'm looking at it and lusting after it and think about it, and I'm like, you, whatever, you're preaching on envy, and you just wrote out your sermon on envy and here you are envying that red truck down the road Lord forgive me for envying that red truck that was Friday now yesterday Tress and I were going out yesterday afternoon and we're pulling out and a white truck just like I would like to have passes by and I hold my arm out at it and I'm just looking at her like that and then it hit me again and I put my hands on the wheels of my minivan and I said thank you Lord from a minivan (laughs) and then I got brand new tires on it and I'm paying for it and it's a safe thing for me to drive you got to be careful the Lord will hold you accountable 
for ladies, you, your envy might be, you know, you're always looking at the other lady. Her figure's cuter than you are. Her kids are better than yours are. She's got it together more than you do. Relational envy is a big thing. Have you ever seen two girlfriends who are best buddies and then they're not married and one of them gets engaged and gets married? Woo, my goodness. You might as well set up a WWE ring right there. That relationship a lot of time will not last because of what? Envy. It can take a lot of forms. It can even take a form where maybe somebody who's loses their spouse late in life, looks at another couple, and they're going through their golden years and aging gracefully together, but you lost your spouse, and you're envying that you lost that person. Church envy. We don't have any church envy, do we? I'll move on to the next one. Well, why didn't I get a visit from the pastor? Why didn't I get that solo? Why didn't I get asked to teach that class? Why didn't I? And why didn't I? We, we have a little church envy too sometimes, don't we? Don't we? I guess y'all don't. Okay. You want me to tell you who I envy except the people with the trucks? I envy all of y'all who have every weekend off. You can go off two or three times in the summer, take you a few Sundays off. I envy that. Lord, I get back down there again and pray. I see. She's nodding her head at me. I move on. In his book, Soul Detox, Craig Groeschel says this, Allowing envy in your heart is like planting nuclear waste in a flower bed. James 3, 4 through 16 says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And we've been laughing and joking, but that verse is serious. Because it says that envy is the same thing. It says in that verse that envy is unspiritual and demonic. Now, did you ever think envy was demonic? I didn't really think about that until I read that verse. It says where you find envy, you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Envy is all throughout the scripture. The first kids on the earth envied each other, and Cain killed Abel. Rachel envied Leah. Joseph's brothers envied him. Saul envied David. Think about the chief priests. They envied Jesus so much they had him crucified. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You talk about in your soul. Envy rots the bones. This is fantastic description of envy, and it's uh, not in the Bible, but it's pretty good. The philosopher Socrates said this, Envy is the daughter of pride, the author of murder and revenge, the perpetual tormentor of virtue. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul, a venom, a poison which consumes the flesh, and dries up the bone. It rots us like cancer from the inside. So what can we do about envy? Number one, stop comparing. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Second Corinthians 10, 20, 12 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. Paul is saying, don't compare yourself with each other. Number two, test yourself. Galatians 6, 4 through 5, everyone should test their own actions 
then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. I'm joking, but very seriously, I drive down the road and I see that truck. I must test my heart. I must be thankful for what God's given me. Number three, rejoice with others. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. If somebody gets a new truck, give them a slap on the back and say, I'm glad you got one. If they get a great vacation, praise God you got a great vacation. If they get a new house, thank God they got a new house. Don't envy them, rejoice with them. And the last one is real simple, be thankful. Everybody say, be thankful. The message, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time, thank God no matter what happens, this is the way. God wants you who belong in Christ Jesus to live. Be thankful. So we've talked about envy. We've talked about bitterness. Let's wrap it up and let's talk about the third toxic emotion that poisons us is anger. Mark Twain said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to, on, than to which anything on which it is poured. What do you get angry about? If you just said nothing... Come on. We all get angry and upset about something. Does traffic get under your skin? Does rudeness of somebody at a restaurant when you're paying for service get under your skin? Does arrogance of somebody else get under your skin? Anybody take credit for your work? You ever got blamed for something unfairly? Wives, are you get angry when your husband leaves his underwear on the floor? Husbands, do you get upset with your wives when she doesn't put the toilet paper on the roll right? We all know it's biblical. It comes over from the top. There's no other way to put it on there. It's, it's in the proverb somewhere. There's the big things that make us angry. Natural disasters, poverty, human trafficking, a lack of morality in our nation. Politics. Politics. Good gracious, that's why I said a while ago, I can't even look at it anymore. Can you? I just, I get angry. In 15 verses in the Bible, the Bible mentions anger and fire in the same verse. 15 times the Bible mentions anger and fire in the same verse. So think about this. Fire, when it's contained, can bring life, can bring warmth, can cook food, can illuminate the dark. But when fire is out of control, it destroys everything and it consumes, can consume something that has been taken years to build. Like fire, our anger can either be constructive or destructive. It can be a catalyst for justice and the pursuit of God's righteousness. It can cleanse, it can restore, it can unite. But anger with our desires and our frustrations can bring hurt to us and to others. Paul said in Ephesians 4, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. and Do not give the devil a foothold. Anger itself, this is what Paul's saying, is not sinful. A good anger is a righteous anger, but bad anger results, listen, when we lose control of our emotions and take matters in our own hands. Sinful anger is getting angry at something and allowing that anger to, do, allowing that anger to lead us to do the wrong thing. Sinful anger is getting angry at something and that anger allowing us to do the wrong thing. The last part of that verse in Ephesians 4, he says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. The Greek word for foothold means opportunity. 
location. So when you have anger in your heart and you don't resolve an issue, you are giving the devil a place in your heart. If you give the devil a place in your heart, that's a pretty good guarantee that your soul is getting poisoned on the inside. The scripture is full of examples of people who allowed their anger to set up, allowed anger to set up camp in their hearts. Listen to this, Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Quick temper, you're likely to do something crazy. Proverbs 29, verse 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. It's foolish to give full vent to your rage. The Bible says there's those of us who spew our anger. If you spew your anger... The Bible says it's foolish. The Bible also talks about, if you're, you might not be a spewer, but you might be a stewer. A stewer is found in Psalms 32, verse 3. David said this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. A spewer lets it fly. A stewer stirs it up like in a crock pot and lets it just boil and get hot. And what's going to happen eventually to that anger? We've all been around people. We may have even done that ourselves, where anger blows up. Instead of talking things out, they keep it stirred up inside. The Scripture tells us love is not easily angered. Verse Corinthians 13, 5, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. If your anger is causing you to sin, either inside your heart, or with external behavior, you must put a fire extinguisher to that anger. Look at Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. Everybody who's married knows about that, don't you? You can feel it coming, and you say, I'm not going to die on this hill. Anybody with me? Now, when you first got married, you didn't do that. Remember that? You wanted to fight till you won. After a while, you learn, I'll just sit here, it'll be nice, I want to have dinner tonight. Some people might say, well, Pastor Les, I'm just angry. It's just the way I am. My daddy was angry, my grandfather was angry, anger runs in our family. It's just the way I am. Well, I want to, I want to ask you this. Let's say this afternoon I tell Tressa I'm going to take her out. And I'm going to take her to Hilton Head. And we're going to the beach. And we're going to have some time together. And we're hand in hand walking down the beach. And the beach is there. And she's here. And I'm here. And we're walking along and talking. And I'm talking to her. But as I'm walking, she's over here. And here's all the people on the beach. And I'm just sitting here. You know what I'm doing, right? Can I even talk about that? I, what, what if I'm checking out every woman as I go by? And I'm just, hey, how's it going? I'm talking to her, but I'm checking them all out. Now, what do you think is going to happen? How long is that going to take before I get into trouble? It's not going to take very long, is it? Well, what if I just said, well, baby, that's just the way I am. God just made me a man, and I like to look at women. I think they're pretty. I think they're attractive. I just want to get my eyes full. That's the way I am. It's in my sin nature. I'm just going to let it fly. All you women, if y'all are reaching for a hymn book right now to throw it at me. That did not happen, and it won't happen, or I will not be alive. Now, that makes no sense. 
it makes no sense for you to say, well, that's just the way I am. It's sinful. It's sinful for me to walk down the beach and check out every woman that's there, just like it's sinful for you to say, well, it's just a part of it's the way I am. I'm just angry. Get in the Word and get over your anger. Is that okay to say? You're hurting other people with your anger. James says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God wants us to be clean and righteous. And when we have anger in our hearts, righteousness cannot be there. So what do we do? Three things to combat anger. Number one, listen. Whatever that situation is, listen. Then take some time to process before speaking. Every man, you need to read that about 50 times, including me. Men, we're probably a little more guilty on this one. Take some time to process before speaking. And number three, don't jump straight to being angry. Listen to the whole story. Close your mouth. Don't jump to being angry like the Scripture says. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Seven different books of the Bible all mention this same character aspect of God. That God, listen, is slow to anger, abounding in love. A characteristic of the Father. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. Psalms 145 verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up this morning as we close out. We talked about this morning the poisoned soul. I'm going to ask the worship team at this time to come forward. Y'all going to make me angry. By the way... My wife is saying, I'm finishing my notes. I have gone through very quickly today and given you a ton of scripture, probably too many. But there are notes out there as you go if you want to take them home and look at them. As you guys start to play, I, I, I just kind of want to sum this up like this. We've talked about bitterness, envy, and angry in our hearts. And this is, uh, as we said, this is one of those issues that it can poison our soul. And I said earlier, I said, like, you know, the smoking thing. You know, the smoker really doesn't realize probably everything that's going on the inside. And with issues like this, sometimes we do see them coming out. I see stuff coming out of me sometimes, and I'm just like, why can't I take that right back? Why, why am I that way? Some things we don't see. Some things our spouse sees and we don't see it. Our family sees and we don't see it. But the one who sees it all is the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about it the night before he went to the cross. He told the disciples that that was part of the Holy Spirit's job. Was to teach us and to remind us. To reveal to us the things of God. And so this morning we're going to do something today as we close out. That we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to take a couple of minutes to detox don't have any green shakes we just have the Holy Spirit that I pray will take the word that we've shared this morning 
and reveal in our hearts if there's any bitterness, any envy, any anger, and in turn, allow us to turn to Him and ask for forgiveness. Put that last screen up there. I can sum up this message like this. I cannot be bitter because of the forgiveness of God. I cannot be envious because of the blessings of God. And I cannot be angry because of the love of God. As they sing this song that they sang a while ago, I just want to ask you right there where you're at, just to bow your heads. And let's just take a moment in the presence of the Lord to allow Him to speak to us, for you to speak to Him, and us to have our souls detoxed as we spend time in His presence. Go ahead and sing this morning. ask you to stand with me this morning if you'll put that last screen back up there Chris and a lot of times I think as believers who've been doing this a long time like a lot of us have we we concentrate a lot on the the big sins that we put in these big categories and we we're not dealing with those things but these are the things that the enemy will bring in and we, we won't even, not even know that they're there. Can I tell you, I am convicted. I am convicted by my own, not mine, by the Word of God today. 
hopefully that's good preaching when your preaching convicts you. Because if you're saying the Word, anytime we open the Word, the Word should bring conviction. Amen? It's not always pretty. But what it does, it refines us to be like Him. And that verse that we opened up with this morning, in, in Peter, he says, at the end of that verse, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. That spoke to me this week to say, to say that though I feel like I am surrounded at times by ungodly people, if I live like Christ, they will see Christ in me. There are too many bitter, mean, envious, and angry believers. Let it not be said that that is us. Amen? Can we walk out here today and agree with that? And allow the Word to refine us and help us and convict us? Sanctification is a lifelong process. I got saved when I came to the Lord and I believed in Him and He forgave me of my sins and I received the guarantee of eternal life. But until you roll me down here, I will still be working on sanctification. I'll still be working on that inside part of me, that soul part of me. So as we close this morning in prayer, I want us to look to that screen and let's say today, let's just say this together. Let, let's close out today saying these words. I cannot be bitter because of the forgiveness of God. I cannot be envious because of the blessings of God. And I cannot be angry because of the love of God. Thank you for your word. God, may it dwell in our hearts. May it be, bring change in life into your people. God, we pray your blessings upon us. Go with us and bring us back at the next time we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being in worship today. God bless you. We'll see you back here on Wednesday night.